0: Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine.
1: And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch.
0: So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod
2: Pros. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio.
0: We have some new legislation uh, that's being um, passed on Capitol Hill since we last uh, left you, uh, and we're going to take a really in-depth look this morning at this new school guardian uh, bill uh, that I believe it's on its way to the governor's desk. Dave, we're going to find out for sure where things are at.
1: And we found a study, Debbie. That is absolutely fascinating, it, and it is counterintuitive to me. It's counterintuitive of how to keep kids safe in the case of a, a mass shooting incident. Uh, it, it will absolutely surprise you. It's nine oh six. It's time for the launch.
3: Sequence engaged.
4: And
1: brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know.
3: Countdown three.
0: Well, I heard Heather Kelly reporting this on Utah's Morning News, Dave, as I was uh, getting ready this morning, and I thought, well, how the alphabet of Utah traffic intersections uh, wreaking havoc for drivers. We've got the T intersections, the Y intersections, and I personally think any intersection that allows for a U-turn is dangerous, especially at, like, 50 miles an hour or whatever. Uh, there's a five-year study out that cites the most dangerous intersections for people, cars, drivers, passengers in Utah. Um, And we're going to take an in-depth look at that in just about 45 minutes.
1: I hadn't thought about that. We are using all the letters, the T, the Y, the U. What I wonder is, are we overcomplicating it? Because I think we have so many different kinds of intersections and roundabouts and on ramps and off ramps it is just incredibly difficult to keep them all straight i've been teaching kids to drive the last three or four years teaching my kids my young kids and i tell them something and then i'm like oh except this intersection intersection oh except this off ramp it is confusing and that makes it dangerous
3: countdown to
0: this is not a broken record But President Biden just forgave $1.2 billion in student loans. It's about 1,000 Utahns who are going to benefit, almost. So if you're confused, because it feels like Biden's loan forgiveness is all over the map, and he's rolling it out a little bit here and a little bit there, well... Don't worry, friends. President Biden can't even keep it straight either. If
5: they took less than, if they borrowed less than two thousand dollars, it's forgiven. The twelve thousand dollars, excuse me, it's, the loan
6: is
1: forgiven. <laughs> no, if you if you borrowed less than the two thousand twenty five hundred, what's this plan again? It's hard to keep straight because he's done it so many different times. So A few billion here, a few billion there. Over $130 billion have been forgiven. Now, Debbie, my wife has returned to school. Mm -hmm. We've finally, for the first time ever, the Noriegas have taken out student loans. My question is, should I start paying them back right now? Or should I just sit on it and wait for the Biden lottery to hit? (laughs)
7: Launch countdown one.
0: Armed guards inside our schools and our classrooms Utah now has a plan in place uh, to arm school, school employees. In a moment, we're going to talk in depth with KSL News radio's Adam Small, who's been tracking the developments on Capitol Hill to explain how this will play out in our schools. And then at 9:20, the very concerning results of a sweeping study of more than 100 school shootings. They've studied 133 school shootings across the country, and it showed that armed guards don't make things safer. Uh, They actually make the situation
1: worse, Dave. That was such a shocking conclusion. It it seems so counterintuitive. It doesn't make common sense. So you're going to have to walk me through why this is the case.
8: Dave and Dijanovic.
2: The launch. Commend. Dave and Digenovic. Dave and Digenovic. Special coverage of the top local story. Let's
8: start here
0: uh, with what is happening on Utah's Capitol Hill about the plan to put armed guards in Utah schools. It's gotten the green light, and I want to find out how this is going to play out once it gets into schools, Dave.
1: Yes. Uh, is this the guardian bill?
0: This is the Guardian Bill. Adam Small, KSL News Radio. heard you talking about it this morning, reporting about the developments on Utah's Morning News. What can you tell us?
9: Well, the big thing to know is that this bill is on its way to the governor's desk and, uh, you know, it's now down to Governor Cox. It's made its way through the legislature. But the big thing that it does is uh, when it was first introduced, the idea was to let teachers, principals, all sorts of school employees be able to volunteer as armed guards but the bill has been gone through like five different substitutes so basically now it's school employees not teachers or principals can volunteer as an armed guard in cases of emergency i believe in other um, stories and articles i read about this bill. i think uh, representative ryan wilcox brought this forward after that that crazy day last year we had all those school hoax shooting threats hoax threats around the state and so he wanted to address School security. After that, so basically, it would allow these school employees to volunteers in armed guard. They can work either alongside, or even in some places potentially in place of a school resource officer, if they because some schools in Utah don't have a school resource officer.
1: But to clarify, teachers and principals are not included in this.
9: Yeah. So this is school employees, not teachers, not principals. That was a that was a big change from the first version of the bill. When and it the
1: reason being what?
9: Well, I, I just think there was a lot of concern with um, having, I don't know, maybe it was either too many employees or maybe people that close to students being able to jump out into action in an emergency. Uh, I wasn't able to catch all the debates, but I, I know there were a lot of concerns around this bill from the get-go. Um, and I know teachers and principals, they do have you know very specific duties, and maybe they thought other employees would just be better if they were the ones to jump in.
0: Yeah, I can imagine a teacher has a lot on their plate all day long, and uh, you know, the school We've talked. We've spoken live on the air to a school janitor, who called in and said, "Hey, I seal carry. I conceal carry on campus. The school resource officer, they're." police officers, you know, they're just assigned to the schools, knows that I that I carry, and he seemed like he was in a good place with that, uh, that he was happy to do that. That was part of, uh, it felt like his responsibility to keep the kids safe. Probably has a lot more flexibility than a teacher who's uh, trying to get a bunch of children to the next class, you
1: know. So Adam, does this version allow for training and set aside money for those people that
9: volunteer? So I believe that a lot of, at least earlier on in the bill, a lot of the funding was already like self-funded. Ryan Wilcox came very prepared to make sure we had the funding needed for this bill. Uh, in terms of training, this bill does a ton. I believe it actually sets up like a council to kind of oversee this program as I was skimming through the bill text this morning. So I, I am sure training is going to be a huge part of it, making sure, okay, we need to know who are these volunteers are. Do they know how to use a gun? I, I'm sure that's going to be a huge part of
0: it. And certainly would be important to be in cooperation with law enforcement who's responsible for those particular schools so they know exactly when they enter a school building who the armed gunman is, the bad guy, the bad, I mean, mostly the bad guy, and who the teacher is. So, Adam Small, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on that. I know you'll continue to keep us posted throughout the day as that bill makes it to the governor's
1: desk. We're going to examine a little bit more about whether or not this truly makes our schools safer. Uh,
0: We found a review of 133 school shootings. I've been able to look through it. You've been able to read through it. Uh, They looked at 133 school shootings across the entire country. And this was uh, a sweeping study of how effective armed guards at schools actually are in saving lives of children. And it turns out they actually make things worse. More next.
2: David Dujanovic. Dave and Digenovic. Dave and Digenovic. Special coverage of the top local story.
0: Look, the Utah legislature just approved a plan to get armed guardians in our schools. Um, and we talked to Adam Small about what this would look like. And then we started looking around, Dave and I did, and, and Dave actually found this study from 2021. It's a U.S. Office of Justice program study that specifically looked at armed guards, and the question is if they're a deterrent Uh, when a gunman, an active shooter, walks into a school. And I was astonished at the results of this study. You said it best, Dave. It's counterintuitive to what you think would happen at a school.
1: Yes. My assumption, and I think this is most assumptions, and certainly the assumption of the Utah State Legislature as they passed the Guardian Bill, that would allow paraprofessionals, janitors, uh, cafeteria staff to actually train, uh, bring a gun to school in case of a mass shooter situation. Then they could respond with a gun that they brought. That intuitively, common sense tells me that is that's a good thing. But this study says absolutely not. That so is not what happened. Let
0: me pick your brain. What do you mean by a good thing? What's your vision when you think? Oh, this will deter.
1: Yeah. Or, okay. So, so my vision, or the way I have it in my my brain, is the mass shooter comes into the school, and as everyone is scrambling away, say you have a half dozen, you know, people in the school mm-hmm. that are armed, that are trained, and they go to engage the shooter, while police are trying to arrive on scene. That, to me, seems better than letting the shooter just wander around the halls sure. as teachers sure. are huddling in their classrooms trying to barricade doors.
0: So let's take a deeper look at that study. They actually looked at 133 different school shootings from 1980 to 2019. And the age ranges of the suspects, the perpetrators, were 10 years old to 53. So that tells me um, the guns that were used or the amount of bullets uh, were, that the, the person had with them, it's, it varies greatly, right? Because you think of a 10-year-old, like what kind of access did they have, we, you know, versus a 53-year-old, right? Might have been at the local Walmart buying up all the all the bullets.
1: Yeah, like, and, and it does say in this study the majority of these shootings were uh, handguns.
0: Right. So you've got these 133 cases of school shootings. And, and also, I think that the reason for this study, Dave, came out of the Florida law that also requires, kind of similar to what we did here in Utah uh, this week with the guardian legislation on Capitol Hill. Florida has guardians in schools, not all schools yet, but they were one of the first ones to do this because they were responding to the mass shooting at You know, they had the one at Parkland. And, yeah, Marjory and, and, Stone. Uh, yeah, Mar- yeah, Marjorie Stone. And so, you know... Florida puts these guardians in place, and so now here comes the study of 133 different school shootings, and as you pointed out, with handguns. And they look at whether armed guards being at the school, or somebody who's armed, um, was effective. And they, the, all the schools they looked at, I thought this was curious, uh, only 25% of them um, had this armed guard or guardian there. But it's kind of a newer program, so I guess that makes sense. It wasn't around in 1980. We just didn't have the the need for them. The situation wasn't then like it is now. So what they found in the data, they found that there's no association between having an armed guard uh, and deterrence of violence. That armed guards were not associated with a significant reduction in injuries. And the rate of deaths, here's the kicker, folks. The rate of deaths was almost three times greater in schools with an armed guard there.
1: How can that be? Again, what do you I think? keep saying counterintuitive. Is, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense to me because it, if if somebody comes in and they're shooting up a school and a guard you know, or a resource officer or a police officer engages them, how does that not make it safer?
0: So the study even says an armed officer on the scene was the number one factor associated with increased casualties after the perpetrator's use of assault rifles or submachine guns. Okay, so here's what it says. Um, Because I'm with you, Dave. I I feel like if I'm thinking of this, I'm using my mom brain and also my journalist brain and having covered a number of issues, you would think that somebody... Who's on scene, like a police officer, already would be able to deter the violence or stop the violence, right? Because it's it's now it's kind of equal to some degree. If it, but if you know, if it's a handgun and they, so you you feel like in your head it's like that would that would be a solution. But what the study found is that whenever firearms are present, there's a there's room for error, which makes sense. I would even say there's room if, for fear, even if you've been trained, and you're not, but you're not doing this all the time, and somebody, the element of surprise walks through the door with a machine gun or submachine gun. There's that, too, and so you're reacting to that, and then, and then there's this room for error that the study found, and they said even highly trained officers get the split-second decisions wrong. Of course. And then there's something else I think. Which
1: we saw in Uvalde. Yeah. We saw hundreds of officers respond to this this mass shooting and they were all paralyzed. They did nothing. They waited uh over an hour. Yeah. As as children were barricaded in the classroom with the shooter and dying. And dying.
0: And dying. Dave and I talking about a, a office of justice programs report uh, put out by the federal government of the 133 different school shootings from 1980 to 2019. Um, And that, in fact, um, with armed guards, and we're talking about this because of the guardian bill that passed up on Capitol Hill that allows, uh, in Utah, allows for uh, guardians with guns to be in schools. And these would be, like you said, Dave, paraprofessionals or janitors, people in the schools who would uh, be able to be trained and guard our kids if the worst happens. And the study found that they actually make things worse. Um, So they've said that they... So one suggestion that came up in this study is that a lot of school shooters go in with the mindset that they're suicidal. So they they mean they want to die when they're there. So an armed guard or an armed officer may be an incentive instead of a deterrent.
1: Okay, walk me through that a little bit more. Like how how would they be? An incentive rather than a deterrent. So,
0: we've heard and we've covered, and most of our listeners are probably familiar with the term suicide by cop. Think of all the times that police officers, Mm. and you've seen in news stories, have been called to scenes uh, from a for you know, because there's a barricaded subject inside of a home, somebody who's going through some sort of mental crisis in the moment, and they don't have it in them to commit the act on their own and so they engage an officer and it's a horrible horrible situation right it just is terrible I, you know the, the person who's going through the mental health crisis doesn't see another way out the police officer put in a horrible situation uh, because sometimes that person will start firing at them mm-hmm. um and so what happened you know I'm I don't have any proof that that's what's happening in schools based on this study but this what they concluded is it could be actually an incentive rather than a deterrent for somebody who is looking to um die by suicide in that moment, but they also go and think about the the active shooters that we've covered, and so often there's so much prep that they've done. they've been off the radar, nobody knows they're out doing this, they're out buying up weapons, they're out buying up bullets and their mindset by the time they get to that location is they're just they're all in. They've crossed that line. I don't think this is hopeless though. The study also pointed out that instead of focusing on guardians who are armed, schools, public officials should be investing in resources to prevent the shooting in the first place. And we've done that to a lot of schools already.
1: Yes. Yeah. We've hardened the sides. We've made it a little harder. We, you know, we've locked more doors. We've been more vigilant. Definitely. We've done more training. I think ultimately, again, I just think of myself and and my wife is a paraprofessional Mm -hmm. in a school. That's right. So she would absolutely qualify for this guardian program. We haven't discussed whether or not she would participate. Uh, You know, we don't carry guns in our family, but I, I will just say this personally. If I'm thinking if there was a, a mass shooter situation at her school, heaven forbid, would I feel safer if she were armed? Yes. Mm. Even though this report and this study says that is not the case. Again, this is why it's counterintuitive.
0: That's a great that's a great point, Dave. Um, and we're trying to reach out to the lawmaker, the chief sponsor of this legislation, to ask if they reviewed this study and other studies. I'm sure they did. This was a massive undertaking by the Utah State Legislature. This bill was packed full of information, uh, but we still want to talk to him sometime in the show today. Straight ahead, uh, as we've just talked about, we have a mental health crisis on our hands, uh, but not enough providers there to help. Um, A new proposal on Capitol Hill is working to fix that. Uh, So we're going to talk to the sponsor of that legislation straight ahead.
2: Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Eye on the Hill, 2024 special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic.
0: If you have tried to make an appointment uh, with a behavioral health therapist, good luck. It's it's rough out there. There's a state report that explains why, Dave. It says Utah's a substantial widespread behavioral health access problem. So what they're saying is, uh, we can't get into therapists. And in fact, more than half a million Utahns who need behavioral health care services are not currently
1: receiving them. I can't say I'm surprised. It's not a very high-paying job. Um, my my son was looking into it. He's a senior in high school, and he he was really looking into this. And we saw what it paid, and we did some research, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a year, and it just wasn't as much as he wanted. As, as excited as he was, the pay wasn't there. So there's a little bit of a problem here. There's a huge demand, mm-hmm. but it's not a very high-paying job. There's also some... I think it's kind of tricky to get into the profession.
0: You got to take demanding. Yeah, it's very demanding. Yeah, a master's
1: degree in many cases.
0: Yeah, uh, and there's a an exam involved. Um, House uh, sponsor of the legislation, Representative uh, Corey Malloy, on the line with us. Good morning, Representative.
10: Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Uh,
0: Well, this is such a horrible ordeal for so many families who are just seeking to get their loved ones um, or themselves. Mental health therapy um, what's what's the main what what, is, what would your legislation do?
10: Well, you're hitting it right on the head. We have uh, a huge need, and um, we have uh, some great people working in the behavioral health area, but they're uh, they're the higher degree uh, professionals. And so where we're really lacking is just uh, a workforce of uh, behavioral health care workers. And so what the bill does is it does two things. Uh, basically, it creates a pathway for more workers to enter into the field. But also if you are and we've created two new uh, lower, I, I say lower level, but important lower level positions that will kind of provide more healthcare workers, but also gives them a pathway to move up the experience and professional level, you know, and to master's level, and above. And so that's what it that's what it basically does. The bill uh, creates, and, and this was all based on research by the Office of Professional Licensure Review, who's been working on this for over a year, and they came back and, and made some recommendations for this policy that we're running, and uh, SB 26 is the bill number. But it, what it does is it creates two new positions, a behavioral health technician, which is uh, someone who can do a lot of the work that uh, a therapist currently would have to do um, without doing therapy work. So they're not authorized to do therapy, but they can do care coordination. They can help in navigating uh, patients to the therapist. Uh, They can help under general supervision uh, and information gathering. The other position that's being created is a behavioral health coach, which can do all the things that a technician to do that, I just uh, talked about, but can also co-facilitate group therapy, but always with a therapist. In in some limited contexts, they can uh, uh, draft and revise treatment planning. I, again, this is all under the direction of a therapist. So we're okay. not we're not trying we're not trying to create non-therapist therapists. That uh, providing more hands, more help to create that healthcare workforce that we really need in the state.
1: Maybe this is an imperfect comparison, but it sounds a little bit like a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant that is working directly under a doctor but can do a, a lot of the, the work that a regular doctor could. Is it is it akin to that? Yeah, it, that's a
10: good analogy because as you probably are well aware, the uh, on our healthcare side, we still don't have enough uh, medical health care workers uh, throughout the state. We still need to do a lot of work there, but um, we have a broader range of help like you just described. And that's what we're trying to do is create that broader uh, 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 group of workforce that can help with uh, behavioral health cases uh, throughout the state.
0: We're speaking live with Representative Corey Malloy um, about a piece of legislation on Capitol Hill uh, that would – Open the door for more mental health options for therapy for um, Utahns who need it. We are, we've got hundreds of thousands of Utahns who are looking for mental health care. They just can't find it because it was such a shortage. I if you've ever tried to call a therapist in the last year or so, you know it takes a long time to get in. I'm just you mentioned the Office of Professional Licensing in Utah, and they did this report, representative, and they do mm-hmm. say they get a significant number of complaints about um, people who are currently licensed. There's almost 400 annually or something like that. So I guess what I worry about is when we make it maybe easier or there's a different track for mental health therapists, it's such an important role that they play in the lives of keeping our heads on straight. I mean, I, I, I've I gone to them. I mean, they have so often um, helped me in moments of crisis. So... I worry Mm -hmm. a little bit about making this path easier, although I understand that we have a big shortage out there. Are you concerned about
10: that? uh, Clearly. And that's the second part of this bill is the safety safety element. And I think the most important thing to do to understand is we're not really making it easier. Everybody that needs to be a licensed professional uh, will need to still be a licensed professional. And so, these new positions—they're going to be certified certification level—and working directly with licensed professionals. And so, but the other things that we're implementing in this bill is uh, direct client care hours and direct observation. So that's going to increase as you're going through these processes of licensure. There's going to be there's going to be a need for more hours of actual client care under supervision. And direct with direct observation, uh, the supervision will also increase. So that through training certification, uh, there's going to be a lot more supervision. So hope, the the goal is that the quality of supervision will increase. And then uh, one thing you know, we have uh, our therapists and clinicians who can work one on one with individuals um, in in a in 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 situations often where it's just the two of them. So in those, in those levels, they're gonna, we're going to be requiring a criminal background check. This is just a safety uh, thing. It's not making a judgment on anybody, but yeah. you know, making sure that uh, yeah, we, our, uh, these patients are
1: safe.
0: Sure. We've got the right people in place uh, who are treating these
1: patients. Representative Corey Malloy, thank you.
0: Yeah, we will continue to track the developments on that piece of legislation. Of course, the clock is ticking. Uh, legislative session ends tomorrow night. Uh, We'll have plenty of coverage throughout the rest of the day today and tomorrow on the latest um, proposals that will impact Utah families. Straight ahead, this is certainly impacting a lot of Utah families. The alphabet of Utah's traffic intersections. We've got the T intersection. We've got the Y intersection. What about the U-turn intersections that create all kinds of problems? Well, next, we're going to dive into a new report that cites the most dangerous intersections in Utah.
2: Dave Dave and Jennifer.
0: talk about the alphabet of uh, Utah traffic intersections that is causing havoc and it's more than havoc it's deaths we've got the T intersections we got the Y intersections um I personally think and I don't this study didn't talk about the u-turn intersections I think they're extremely dangerous you got somebody making a u-turn traffic going 50 miles an hour. Somebody turning right at the same time. It's just messy. There's this five year study that Dave and I want to talk about uh, regarding the most dangerous types of intersections in Utah.
1: I know this is going to give a lot of city planners and engineers <laughs> a heart attack with this statement, but you're overcomplicating things. I've been teaching my kids to drive. You know, we're kind of in that sweet spot over the last several years of kids learning how to drive. And Every time I tell them a general rule, we'll come up on an intersection that breaks that rule. Oh, <laughs> sorry. sorry, guys. There's, so there's actually no left-hand turn in this intersection. And as we're getting off the freeway, I'm like, oh, yeah, just you, you'll typically do this or that. No, except this <laughs> one. And it is dangerous. I, I've no. been with the kids I know. because they think they're doing what Dad said and what he taught yeah. them. And then you have this aberration of an intersection, and it is dangerous. When,
0: when we're driving, consistency is key, let's face it.
1: Absolutely. You
0: can't just be surprised by some like intersection like what they've got going on there in Draper on the east side of the freeway there. I don't know what. Who vomited up that intersection? Sorry, you dot. But you all who, you know, visit the concrete jungle that is like 123, 126, whatever we've decided that road is at that particular spot, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, to get on the freeway, you have to go right. And then you make this weird U-turn. And then you make another right to get on. It's just mind-numbing. It's mind-numbing. So guess what? I avoid it. I avoid it. Because I know no matter what I choose, it's going to be wrong or it's going to throw some other driver off. Let's go with Heather Kelly. KSL News Radio's Heather Kelly. Uh, She's, of course, always in our traffic center, keeping us straight on what's going on on the roads. Well, this morning, she did a special report for Utah's Morning News about this traffic study that was released, citing the most dangerous types of intersections in Utah. Overall, Utah has one of the lowest
8: death rates per capita for traffic accidents. However, more than 1,200 Utahns died in auto crashes over the five-year study. According to the data, almost a quarter of those fatalities happened at intersections, with the four-way being the deadliest. The second most dangerous in Utah is the three-way stop, or T-intersection, followed by a Y-intersection. The Y interchange is a junction where the road splits into two different directions or merges from those two directions into one road. The study is a reminder for drivers to be extra vigilant at any type of interchange.
1: Okay, first of all, I didn't realize there are so many letters out there
0: <laughs> for intersections.
1: There's a T, there's a y, there's a U. Um, uh, and I think we've all experienced this. And we've probably all had a close call. I certainly have on the Y's, especially when it's two roads merging into one, it, that's extremely dangerous.
0: I almost um, I almost accidentally ended my life on i80. This is so many years ago. It had to have been like 2003-ish, maybe a little earlier than that. I was coming downtown. I was coming down to studio, KSL Television, um, for – I had a report (laughs) for duty on a Saturday morning. So I was coming off I-80, and, you know, I was heading westbound. I came off of the 215 East Side Belt Route, um, heading westbound, and the road splits – Okay, it's a freeway. I don't know if they can. They say that it's a Y intersection or not. It sure felt like it was like the end of the road for me. I had to be down here at a certain time, and I was running a little bit late, although it wasn't that bad. And I was making – I thought I should be making tear training off the freeway and, like, going this way on the Y. But then I made a last split-second decision, and I don't know why. It was just, like, I was completely confused about that particular area. All of a sudden, because it's not the first time I've driven it, which goes to show you it can happen anytime. So I was in the moment I'm like, no, I gotta go left. I gotta go left. Well I almost split my car in half because I was trying to go left at the last minute and I You're should have been confused. going right. I was confused. Yeah. And then there's this barrier. Barrier right there. Would have split the car in half. And that was the moment I realized, you know, if I'm going to screw up, just screw up, and you can go up to that intersection and get off the freeway there and make a turn or whatever or come in a different way. It's only going to take you an extra two or three minutes. So I when we start to panic in those moments, like there's a way out, and it's just staying calm and then just going with the flow of traffic instead of trying to cut over three or four lanes to yep. get off the
1: road or whatever it is. And I know it's an oversimplification to say just – just make everything standard because a lot of times you're adding an on ramp mm-hmm. when it wasn't originally designed, whatever it might be. I understand there's, it's more complicated. But at the same time, I've, if anyone's ever been to the Hillfield exit in Layton, it is the most oh, yeah. disastrous design I've ever seen. It is, I've been driving this my entire life. And you cannot, make a left-hand turn through the intersection they literally make you take a right-hand turn go a half a block down and then do a u-turn to go south or whatever direction you want to go Mm -hmm. like you've got to turn right to do a u-turn Sounds
0: like the draper intersection it it's messy it
1: is a mess Mm -hmm. and it's so confusing and it's frustrating and and i understand we're trying to prevent the dangerous left-hand turn in intersections. The problem is when everything is different, and this is the only one I've experienced was to this level in Leighton, it gets confusing. And confusion and hesitation, I think, is every bit as dangerous as a left-hand turn.
0: I'll also say this. It's not only confusion. It's just drivers who are flat out in too big of a hurry. So the most dangerous intersections in Utah, according to that report, are the ones that are just intersections, four-way intersections. Y'all are running way too many red lights. You know, the 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 light is beyond red. It's like burnt red. You know, it's in the maroon range, and you're running it. And as a result of just watching and seeing so many people run red lights in this state. It's horrible. It's horrible. You risk so many lives, including your own. I will not leave an intersection when my light turns green without looking left, without looking right, and without looking left again. I encourage everybody to do that because people Take in this state yep, are in way too big of a hurry uh, that they're willing to kill somebody. Let people
1: it. beep at you and tell you to hurry. You be safe.
0: Yep, absolutely. I'd rather have a horn honk at me from the the driver behind me. Than than a T-bone? Any day, Dave. Straight ahead, you know, if you heard about this mine proposal right up in Parley's Canyon, they're worried about it blowing dust all over the Salt Lake Valley. You haven't? Peter Johnston, in next, up live, with a full report on it. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday,
1: starting at nine. And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch.
0: So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and Dejanovic,
2: your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio.
0: You know, I, Dave, I love that our team of reporters and producers keeps a really close eye on legislation as it winds through the process. There's so many changes can be made along the way, and this this is case in point. There's a mine that's been proposed in Parley's Canyon, you know, Parley's Canyon, just off of I-80, right. Um, and those in favor of the mine say, we need, this, we need the material here. You know, We've got a lot of roads that need to be built. We've got homes that are going to be under construction. We need the material here. But those against it, like a mine, we don't want the dust that comes from a mine floating into
1: the Salt Lake Valley. We all love mining as long as it's nowhere near us, as long as it doesn't impact us. Think of the Kennecott Copper Mines. You know, out on the west side. It's produced more copper than any mine in history. 20 million tons over the years. And copper, obviously, we have to have it. Electric generators, your home, your car, all the wiring, appliances, we need it. But it's also such a ginormous hole, you can see it from space. (laughs) And we don't like that, right? It's an eyesore. Oh, but we have to have the copper for all these reasons. We don't like mining. We have to have it. It's we have no other choice.
0: Well, this latest legislation would affect uh, Parley's Canyon, and uh, Peter Johnston, KSL News Radio, has been tracking this piece of legislation very carefully. It would not only impact Parley's Canyon, but as I talked about, the potential for dust to flare up. So. Uh, Very important story for a lot of people who live not only in that area, Parley's Canyon, but also for people who live in the Salt Lake Valley. So he's going to join us live in just a moment and tell us what's happening right now with this legislation on Capitol Hill. But first, let's get with Peter on his in-depth report on this issue.
11: That's the sound of a semi carrying between 10 and 25 tons of gravel out of Parley's Canyon. If you've ever driven up I-80 eastbound, you might have seen that gravel pit on your left. Big gray mounds of dirt, maybe the occasional house-sized bulldozer. That quarry is about 11 acres. But there could be a quarry at least double that size coming to Parley's soon.
5: In the scenario where we do have a 600-plus acre gravel pit, um, you can expect to see hundreds of acres of land disturbed. Mm-hmm.
11: That's Katie Ballaker with Save Our Canyons, an environmental advocacy group. She's referred to the original 2021 request to build a 634-acre mine up Parley's. Other environmentalists though say that there's a bigger issue.
12: Because there's enough wind that it blows all the dust down into the
4: Salt Lake Valley.
11: That's Sam Dunham, a property owner near the proposed mine and a supporter for Save Parley's Canyon.
4: So they can claim they're in compliance when they are dumping their waste in the the wind stream that scatters over the Salt Lake Valley.
11: But there's a big need for mines like this, according to State Representative Casey Snyder.
12: The reality is that When we do not have gravel pits, places to mine aggregates close to the centers of, of construction and urbanization, it costs more. Prices of homes go up, prices of roads go up, and we're rapidly outpacing with demand our supply.
11: So the tug of war is this. Utah needs aggregate material to build its freeways, housing, and that new school down your street, and this location is close to that demand. But communities like Mill Creek and Salt Lake City could be breathing and drinking particulates from this mine for years to come. So the...
1: Think of all the ways we use gravel right now in foundations, backfill, concrete, drainage roads. We we use thousands of dump truck loads, I, I don't know, maybe daily. It is absolutely necessary any kind of time we have construction. So, Peter, this is a, a fascinating Story. Thank you for reporting on this. So where are things at with this proposal?
13: Yeah, Dave, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, In terms of what's happening with this proposal, it's really interesting because I'm not going to get too nerdy about it and go all the way in. But basically, this thing started back in 2021. It was originally two proposals. One would be a 20-acre mine. The other was a 634-acre mine. Um, that is about 50, 60 times the size of the current quarry that already sits next to I-80 if you're going up there and you see those gravel trucks going by, like you said. So where we're at right now is that there's been a lawsuit by uh, the property owner against Salt Lake County because in 2022 they said you can't actually mine up there. They passed an ordinance saying that, like, there's no mining in our foothills. And property owner says that's ridiculous. This is my property. And where we're at now is that there's been bills after bills after bills um, trying to make it so that the county can't actually stop it. So this year we saw HB 502. That's uh, by a guy named Representative Casey Snyder. He was the guy that you heard on my little report there. And he's saying basically what you said, Dave, which is like, look, we need this stuff. It's close. It's right against the interstate, right? And, I mean, to Debbie's point, too, we're going to have a stadium potentially, maybe two coming Uh, And so that's going to require a lot of building materials. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of this, um, I spoke to a lot of critics. We can get into that. And basically they're saying that this is just the worst place you could put a mine because picture Parley's Canyon like a wind funnel. And it's just blowing particulate dust already from the current quarry all over Mill Creek, all over Salt Lake Valley.
0: So it does. It sounds like from your in-depth reporting, I know you did a series of reports here at KSL News Radio that er, this will be studied now instead of put into motion. Is, is that correct, Peter? Is that where things are at on Capitol Hill this session?
13: Yeah, and that's a big, that's a huge shift. The bill uh, that became a study basically said uh, no county can put a ban on mining which um, a lot of people at the county level did not like that I talked to. And so one really interesting person I talked to was Mill Creek Mayor Jess Silvestrini. He was, um, I don't want to say livid, but he was, he was very upset. Let's just put it that way about this bill, because basically it was taking away the power of counties to have jurisdiction over their own territories. Now uh, there was another part of the bill that was kind of, sketchy to certain watchers uh, Laura briefer she runs the Salt Lake City's public Utilities department right yes. now the public utilities stops two miles from where this mine would have been put or would be put and the bill would require Salt Lake City which doesn't want the mine to pump water two miles out of its jurisdiction to this mine right so the bill was heavy and basically um, the bill sponsor Casey Snyder worked with all these stakeholders, changed it into a study. And that guy I mentioned, Jeff stream mayor of Mill Creek, he totally changed his tune. And he said, this is actually an amazing bill. I'm so grateful for the work of the bill sponsor here.
1: So it was a huge, huge uh, change of heart for him. Peter Johnston, thank you for your report.
0: So it sounds like it's going to be studied for a while. So if you're on the one side of it, th- oh, my goodness, we don't need this. We don't want this. Um, there'll be some... Studies. will probably be some time for public comment. You can get up to Capitol Hill or tap into some of the meetings up there to figure out what's going on. It's uh, a lot of people do not like this idea.
1: I don't know if I told you this, but I used to drive big dump trucks. <laughs> Another one of my crazy jobs that I used to have. Uh, it is so heavy. They are such gas guzzlers or diesel guzzlers. If you really do want to have a gravel pit that is out of sight out of mind away from everything it is so expensive to transport it like say you were to stick it uh-huh. in nephi or something like that like really far away from oh the
0: ga- right. the diesel price yeah alone. the the cost yeah.
1: and again when you're talking gravel mm-hmm. you're talking about millions of tons i mean it's just it's so much that you have if you have a big development you've got so much weight that you've got to transport uh, that it's it's very, very expensive. That's why they're so interested in having gravel pits. Close. Close yeah. and easy access, especially to major arteries.
0: It's great perspective. Glad you used to drive a dump truck. <laughs> what a guy. It's
1: a big truck.
0: What a guy. Uh, straight ahead. We've been talking about this all morning long. Uh, it started with Utah's Morning News' uh, coverage of this armed guard bill on Capitol Hill that allows armed guards inside our schools, paraprofessionals, janitors, uh, folks who work in our schools can, can carry. Um, and this bill has actually been passed. It's on its way to the governor's desk. But there's also a study that Dave and I took a deep look at um, in the nine o'clock hour that shows that armed guards um, and guardians inside schools actually make things worse. Um, we're going to speak to the sponsor of Utah's legislation and ask him if he's seen that study and what he thinks about it next.
2: Dave and Genovic. There's
0: just a few hours left, a day and a half left, up on Capitol Hill in the 45-day session of the legislature. Uh, and they approved, lawmakers did, it's heading to the governor's desk, the armed guards in Utah classrooms, Dave. We've yeah. been talking a lot about that.
1: Yeah, called Guardians, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you hear us talking about the Guardians, it's gone through a couple of different conversations and versions. The latest is what we want to dive into and figure out, okay, where, where did we land on this? Because I know there was some discussion whether or not this is arming teachers and principals or if this is just everyone but teachers and principals. Representative
0: Ryan Wilcox, uh, live on the line with us. Wow, you're a heavy hitter up there on Capitol Hill because you joined me yesterday, and I appreciated that, Representative, about the ballpark uh, funding. And now this is uh, your plan as well to get guardians in schools. And it's heading to the governor's desk?
4: Yeah, that's correct. And this one is, uh, I mean, that's the topic, this piece of it, that's maybe 1 20th of this bill. So this is a school security complete overhaul for
1: us. Okay, let's go into the other 1920s. <laughs> 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 at least some highlights.
4: Yeah, give us the highlights. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been even talking about this, uh, this study this morning. I'm happy to address those things. Of course, we've looked sure. at, at all of those. But um, there's a number of pieces with that. One of the struggles with that particular study that you've been talking about is the lack of data. And so that's I mean, it's always problematic when you're talking about a study when you admit out front that you don't really have enough data to understand how these things happened or let alone the response. And but, so that's been a, a struggle that it, it's mostly not collected.
0: Representative. And so let one me, of the
4: more you, important you, requirements one me, of the more important requirements of our bill is that we will actually begin to collect school safety data, okay. require that it be reported, and then be able to make informed decisions in the future.
0: Well, let me just, for okay. our listeners who are just joining us, who didn't hear the 9 o'clock hour in the study you're referencing, and thank you so much for doing sure. that and addressing that right yeah, of up out, off the top. But for those of us who uh, weren't listening, uh, the Office of Justice uh, programs reviewed 133 different school shootings um, and uh, from like 1980 to 2019. And the result of that study said, the data suggests no association between having an armed officer and deterrence of violence, and that, in fact, the rates of deaths uh, were almost three times greater in schools with an armed guard present. Um, And for those who missed that and want more information, they can go back and listen to the entire podcast episode uh, of our show on that. But I thank you so much for addressing it, and you're absolutely right. Uh, This is the case with a lot of these types of studies. The data's, right. data might not be, wasn't being collected at that time the way we we're going to collect it now because we didn't have the same problems uh, that we have yeah. now. So thanks for pointing yeah. that out. And,
4: yeah. Th- and thank you for recognizing that too. We are in a dramatically different scenario than anything remotely related to 1980 right, that we're dealing Absolutely. with right now. They, and, it, you know, we were talking everything from the firearms themselves, which is, you know, one of the, in fact, I thought that study was fascinating in that it, listed specifically that, um, you know, put it on armed guards, but then said, except for the real number one factor was associated with increased casualties uh, based on the perpetrator's use of assault rifles or submachine guns. Right. Right. So the yes, except for this other factor was dramatically more important in that. And, you know, we we just haven't had anything, uh, and that's been one of the struggles with this topic. We haven't had anything comprehensive both from a data standpoint and a, a process standpoint, meaning what do we have in place for deterrence? Another limitation on some of the studies like that is that what we're really after right now, and I hope that the message goes out, that if you target a Utah school in any way, you're going to be met with resistance. Um, because, and the study correctly identified um, issues with folks that freeze, and law enforcement officers. I mean, you were the, the PIO for the FBI here locally right. for a while. Right. You know... Even trained agents like the FBI right. don't always get it right. Yeah. Sometimes, they, you know, the human factor happens, but that's also why we don't send people in alone into dangerous situations. Anytime we can, we, we follow that buddy system, <laughs> to, to, for lack of a better word, but we have to have redundant processes. The Parkland uh, site that, you know, me and, and, and myself and General Burton went down to to walk through Building 1200. That was one of the greatest failures of armed security, that we've ever seen. That school resource officer stood outside for 41 minutes before he went, and the thing was over in three minutes and 51 seconds, with 17 people murdered and another 17 shot because he froze. He didn't do it. He didn't have the courage to go in and do what he had to do to end the threat. And there were others that did. So you had Chris Hickson. You had the AD and the assistant AD and the football coach that went in without anything to defend themselves or to save those kids. So they lost their lives because they weren't protected, because we didn't allow something there. That school now has three full-time school resource officers and six guardians.
3: Because in
4: Florida. Because that redundancy is so important. Yes, at Parkland.
1: So that that's where I, when I was reading this, it just felt so counterintuitive because uh, my, my wife is a, a paraprofessional in an elementary school. And I thought if heaven mm-hmm. forbid something were to happen At that school, would I feel better if she were armed? Uh, Would I feel Mm -hmm. safer if other people around her were armed? Or would I just want them all to huddle in a classroom and try to barricade a door? So when I saw this study come out and say there, it doesn't necessarily guarantee if there is an armed guard at the school that it will be any safer. And in some cases it, it will be more dangerous. That's, that's where at least the common sense part of me struggled with that, that study. Yeah.
4: Yeah. That, that's exactly right. I mean, there's other things in the study too. It goes into suicide. And, and frankly, unfortunately, a lot of these are, are youth troubled youth, yeah, right. That sure. are looking for an opportunity to go out in the bush to glory they think somehow um, by murdering their classmates. And that, that will in itself lead to different factors, but that also speaks to one of the more important parts of the bill when we talk about mental health and the work that we've done on the back end with SafeUT and others that are, that are part of this project. When we, when we finally get to the place where we are correctly identifying what those are, so the, the bill includes something we call early warning system support, right? And that is being able to identify properly, the shooter in Parkland, for example, had over 200 interactions with the adults in his life, 43 with law enforcement, 17 of which would have prevented the kid from ever owning a gun again, from ever even having the opportunity to purchase a, a firearm. But we failed there, one, because we didn't collect the data. The data that we did collect, they lied about, right? And they, they falsified along the way. And that led to a, a really passing the buck around, With this kid. In our bill, we require reintegration plans that will uh, use a multidisciplinary team so that when there is a threat, they do not, they are not allowed to ignore it going forward. They will identify it, they'll sit down with the parents, with the professionals, and then they'll have a plan. If there isn't a plan, if a kid, because of House Bill 14, that's already gone through, because of that, when a, a child or anyone really makes a significant threat now. When it makes a threat to kill their classmates or someone else targets a school, that will now be a second-degree felony that will require suspension or expulsion and a reintegration plan that follows that in order to come back, right? So this is, this is not a, any kind of a scenario that we've seen in the past. This is something that we are dealing with actively right now, including with our federal partners. With, we've had 60 lockdowns across the state of Utah since August 15th, three of which were plant attacks.
5: Wow.
0: There's so many angles to this, Representative, and we know your time is really short. You're super busy in these final hours. So our producer will be reaching out to your team up there on Capitol Hill uh, because we need to talk much more about this in the weeks ahead. And we'd love to have you and invite you back on the show. Uh, Thanks so much for being Willing to be available to us. This is a huge piece of legislation uh, that'll impact a lot of Utah families.
1: That really helped me, Deb. Mm-hmm. It, it, it helped bring some uh, a different point of view because as we were reading that study this morning, uh, there were a lot of holes in it that that I was looking uh, to be filled. And, and I think he did a, a very good job. Representative Ryan Wilcox, thank you for joining us.
0: Straight ahead, it's the story that Dave has been just so excited to talk about because the president has once again forgiven another $1.2 billion in loans for nearly uh, 1,000 Utahns will benefit from this. We're canceling
5: student debt for borrowers who are enrolled in the safe plan and have been paying student
1: loans for as little as 10 years. But the real question is, am I a dope? for even considering paying back my wife's student loans or should i just sit and wait for the biden lottery to hit the noriega
2: family dave and Digenovic, your morning companions for talk analysis and key perspectives on utah's biggest stories on ksl news radio forgiving college debt special coverage with dave and uh,
0: president biden just took another hatchet to student loans, uh, forgiving a, a lot more debt.
5: We're canceling student debt for borrowers who are enrolled in the safe plan and have been paying student loans for as little as 10 years. If they took less than, tw- if they borrowed less than $2,000, it's forgiven. The tw- $12,000, excuse me. It's, the loan is forgiven. See,
0: there's just been so much to loan forgiveness even Biden forgets. Is it 2000 Is it 12000
1: For those uh, that made $227 <laughs> bajillion dollars, that will be forgiven. Wait, how much? 12000 twelve
0: thousand. Two thousand. <laughs> it adds up Even, to
1: it. <laughs> like, just <laughs> deliver the line, buddy.
0: <laughs> Stick to the prompter. It's another one point two billion dollars worth of student loans. It just it goes away. Poof. And it is helping nearly a thousand Utahs too.
5: When people in student debt student debt relief, they buy homes. They start businesses. They contribute. They engage in the community in ways they weren't able to before. It actually grows the economy.
1: Can I go old man Noriega (laughs) on you? Back in my day when I went to school, I used to pay my debts.
0: What are you going to... Forget what you said in, in April of 2021 about the first round of student loan forgiveness here and be like, well, now that my wife has student loans, uh, what, what do you think about this, Dave? Because you're in a much okay. different spot now than you were back when he first started rolling out this plan a few years ago. Um, your wife has loans now, and I'm so glad she's going back to school. I think this is amazing. Yeah. I know you're all in on it, too. You've been super helpful and supportive
1: of this. Yeah, this is awesome. my w- I've never had student loan debts. I've never taken out a student loan. Uh, my wife hasn't. Uh, now, twenty years after our kids started, you know, getting a little older, she decided to go back to school. So we now have some student loans. Number one, super easy to get. By the way, <laughs> I didn't realize. Like they, it's basically sign up. It's so easy <laughs> to get student loans. They're like, how much do you want? Uh, can I have ten thousand dollars? Sure. You bet.
0: You Did can you have Did you go to it. a bank, can I ask?
1: No, it's just the federal loan, the fast. Oh, through the school? Yeah. yeah, the school arranges everything. It's, it's very easy. The easiest money I have ever been given that I have to pay back. Okay. Um, but yeah, the question I have is one of the options was, do you want to start paying it back right now? Or at least a portion of it, pay the interest. Is it
0: a payment plan? Was that it? Yes.
1: It They're asking if you okay. want to... Pay while you're going to school.
0: Okay, I don't know anything about these, so that's interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely an option. And I start hearing all these stories. These stories are coming out about how much Mm -hmm. loan forgiveness is out there Mm -hmm. and and some loan forgiveness for teachers. I'm like, well, my wife's going to be a teacher. So I'm like, do I want to start paying back my loans right now? Conventional wisdom. Dave Noriega, from the time I started paying for things, has always been, You pay off your debts as quickly as possible. Now, sometimes that takes 10 years. Sometimes it's a 30-year mortgage. But my my initial reaction is, I'm going to pay it off as quickly as possible. Am I, what's a good word to say, a a dummy for even considering paying back the student loans because there's this off-chance possibility that Joe Biden's going to forgive it at some point?
0: I love the word choice, first of all. Congrats. That's the best word you've ever- A dummy.
1: <laughs> am I? Am I a no. dummy for it?
0: No, you're not a dummy. I've never thought you were a dummy. I think you're just perplexed. You're confused. Um, and you're trying to figure out what the future holds.
1: Because there's no rhyme or reason. We have no idea what loan is going to get forgiven uh-huh. next. I would agree. It's, it's uh, totally the lottery.
0: Well, remember, the Supreme Court shut him down initially. Yeah. So so he promised he was making good, sort of, on a campaign promise to wipe out student loan debt. He did it through executive order, and then the Supreme Court ruled you can't do that. So we thought the plan was dead. Yes, you know, dead. It wouldn't come back. And then he's figured out a way through the the Department of Education to here and there forgive loans, and it's a it's a little bit here and it's a little bit. He's breadcrumbing. <laughs> that's what that's called, right? It's just breadcrumbing a little bit here, a little bit there, and so what's happening now is you're getting strung along yes you're you're you've gone from just always pay back your your loans, no matter what to well, maybe uh just maybe because of even the profession that she's chosen, this will be wiped away, and then I'd be a fool, yes, to pay back twenty thousand dollars. Instead of keeping it for my family. Because I get
1: it. over the last three years, he, President Biden has forgiven $3.7 million in student loans, over $130 billion in student loans that he's just wiped away. If he gets reelected, if he's spending another four years in office, why in the world would I start paying back my loans? Because it's the right thing to do.
0: It is just, honestly, it's the right thing to do, right? I mean,
3: it now, is the right
0: thing to do. You you're trying to play the odds here and that's really a tough thing to do.
1: Okay, everything you just said, you're right. It is. My my responsibility. I'm taking this debt on full full willingness. Like we know what we're doing, we know where we're getting into. We know that we're going to have to pay it back. We do that willingly. It was a decision we made, we discussed, we're fine with it. But if there's a chance that he's going to wipe it away, mm-hmm. what's the incentive for me to pay it off right now? To me, it doesn't make any sense. In fact, let's let's look at a little bit at this. Now, this sounds maybe a little hypocritical because I've been so, hey, it's your debt. You pay it back. I still feel that way. I absolutely feel that way. Like No one is responsible for this debt other than my wife and I. But he is wiping away debt a little here and a little there. And if I can save ten thousand dollars, how do I say no to that?
0: That's it. That's all it is to go back to school.
1: I don't know. I don't know what the end bill's going to be. But I just threw out a that's a another, hypothetical that's another problem. Yeah,
0: that's another problem with student loans. Right? Yeah. I you don't, don't know really how much know what it's what the you be. don't know what yeah, the no, end game holds. I've heard that over and over from people that this is a messy process to begin with. So, do you want to take phone calls?
1: Yeah, I want to know if people are feeling the same way. If you're either in school or you have student loans, have you stopped paying? Have you reduced your payment in hopes that it will eventually somehow, through hook or by crook, get wiped away?
0: 801-575-TALK. I can
1: prove to you that that is exactly what is happening.
0: Eight zero one five seven five talk. Yeah, you know, do you pay back your student loans? Or are you waiting and hoping for loan forgiveness? Taking your live calls
2: next. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic.
0: Oh, the phone lines are lighting up to talk to us about student loan debt and forgiveness. Uh, but first, let's remind you, this is it. This is it. It's Leap Day, and it's the last day of our secret contest, Uh, the podcast contest that we've been running for our listeners exclusively, so you need to find our podcast show uh, on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then you're going to listen for the keyword.
1: It is not AirPods Pro, though that's what you can win. (laughs) Listen for the keyword, I'll give you the keyword, you text it to 57500, and you're entered into a chance to win some AirPods Pros.
0: Yep. Make sure you subscribe. We love you for it.
2: Forgiving College Debt. Special coverage with Dave and
0: So Dave is wrestling um, with whether he should pay, start paying back his wife's student loan. Now it's it's, it's new to them. that You haven't done this before. You've never taken nope. out student loans, and she's decided to go back to school, which is awesome. Um, she's super smart. She'll be an amazing teacher one day here for... The kiddos across our state, but for right now, you've taken out a few alone
1: to make that happen, right? Yeah, and the government keeps forgiving student loans, <laughs> even though the Supreme Court said you can't do this. Oh. They're like, oh, we found a little a little uh, trick here, and the Department of Education has been able to forgive over a hundred and thirty billion dollars worth of student loans.
0: And I said, pay them back. Don't sit around and wait and hope that you're going to be um, <laughs> getting uh, loan forgiveness. But you're torn. I'm surprised by that. Because you've always been a, I took out the loan, yes. I'm going to pay it back kind I did. of a guy. I,
1: I voluntarily took out this loan. I knew what I agreed to, that I'd have to repay, and I agreed to pay it with interest. All of that is absolutely true. But this is the problem. If you're going to offer me chocolate cake for breakfast... I'm going to eat the chocolate cake for breakfast because in this scenario, the calories don't even count against me. It's like you get the calories. I eat the cake. You get the calories because with loan debt forgiveness, sure, the person benefits, but the rest of us pay it. They pay for it. So it's wrong on a million different levels, but at the same time, am I going to say no? To a $10,000 gift?
0: <laughs> Let's ask our callers. Lawrence from Murray, um, gonna pay back the student loan or do you sit and hope and wait for forgiveness?
14: Uh, I'm kind of mixed on it. I really? mean I understand the need to, to do it, but here's the thing. My situation, I don't know. I think it's a little different. 20 years ago, I went to school for automotive diagnosis and repair. In that time between then and now, I've never had a job in the field. Nobody will hire me because they don't think that I know what I'm doing. In the meantime, my student loans have been partially paid off by one one wife or another. And I'm on disability living off of less than $1,000 a month, now divorced, uh, twice divorced. And the interest has gotten to be as much or more than the original student loan. The amount of the original student loans has been paid back. But I can't pay back on these student loans at this point. Uh, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, I'll just wait until somebody decides to forgive it. I fully intended to pay them back but I can't at this point and I don't know where to go from here. I would be happy at this point to have some student loan forgiveness on loans that gave me an education that I have yet to be able to use and get a job in the field. Lawrence,
0: for. that's a, yeah that's a that's a situation and a half I would not you know and certainly
1: there's there's well, a I'm, lot of yeah, there's a lot of programs out there and let me just direct you to studentaid.gov Good. It's a great resource. Good. You can talk to your loan lender and and try to negotiate something. I know that is out there. It's not a guarantee, but it is a good resource.
0: Hi, Jake. Jake from Magna.
7: Hey, thanks for having me on and uh, ask, uh, allowing me to share my opinion.
0: Yeah, go for it. So,
7: so my wife and I, we recently graduated. And the way we graduated and afforded the college expenses was we were part-time students and we found that without needing to get straight a's to get scholarship you a lot of students can qualify for pell grants that got us through college and we're debt free and here's why i think people should be responsible to pay them off is i've heard a lot of my colleagues who go to college to continue on to a master's the reason why is because by continuing your education you can put off needing to pay off the loan but that means your loan gets bigger and they hope for these dream jobs but don't learn to work and because of that that's why a lot of students are going debt. is because they keep getting more education in anticipation of getting a better job but keep stacking on the loan yep. which also can add to the interest and i would love to hear some investigative work done on that because that is what puts them more into a bind rather than learning to work
1: now it's a great point the interest Thanks, continues uh, to increase thank you jake susan from midvale what do you think
7: Okay, so I, I missed just one part. Oh, I okay. love your program, by the way. Thank you. I just missed the part where the uh, interest starts. Where does the interest start? Does it start on day one, or yep. do they defer that for a while?
1: No, it, it starts on day one.
7: And what is the interest rate?
1: Oh, you know? I don't know. How about that? Is it, I, t- I took it, is it, pretty it what, cheap? No, mm-hmm. it's 6 six to 8%, I think.
7: Okay, Let's, so... Yeah. If it were me and I thought maybe in the future that loan might be forgiven, I would just bank my payments. I would bank as much payment as I would pay Ah. towards that loan. I would just put it in the bank. Susan. Leave it there and let it grow. uh, Did you just solve my problem? That's wisdom. Susan, I
1: think you just solved my problem. No, that's wisdom. That's genius. You sit on it. You bank it. If it comes through, awesome. If not, you know what, Susan? You got the money set aside. Gold star. Yep, good Gold job,
0: star. Susan from Midvale. Keep listening. We love that you listen. Hi, Mike. Mike from Hi South there. Jordan. How, yeah, good. How are you? How's South Jordan? Are we good out there? It's my neighborhood.
6: It's what? <laughs> it's wonderful out awesome, here. Yeah, awesome,
0: awesome. Pay back those loans or uh, wait for forgiveness.
6: Well, I'm okay with them being paid off by the government. I realize that puts me in a minority. I suspect, but here's my point: um, the federal government spent a trillion dollars saving businesses during covid Um, billions of dollars to uh, banks cruise lines airlines and hundreds of thousands of dollars to small businesses right here in salt lake city they didn't ask for it they didn't expect it but the federal government says hey listen we're in a we're in a bad recession brought on by the covid we're going to help you get through this And and everybody bought into that, and the federal government spent over a trillion dollars helping people out. I had no problem with that. I think that the the need was there. I don't see a big difference between that and the federal government just stepping in and saying, hey, these people are in head over their heels in debt. Why don't we help them out? They get out of it. They're going to buy homes. They're going to buy cars, uh, washing machines, and whatever. It'll spur the economy, and indeed it
1: will. Mike, thank you for the phone call. Uh, I I wanted to look and see what what the average payment is. Uh, Lending Tree has done some great research yeah. on this, and what the average student loan payment is. Any any gut yeah, gut reaction?
0: I hate when you do that. You're like, are we talking hundreds, pull thousands pull a of dollars? Out of thin air. I don't know. Two, two or, to three hundred. I was going to say two fifty. So yeah. I was,
1: yeah, two to three hundred dollars. Now now the promise from president biden is you know if we we forgive these loans they're going to be starting businesses and buying (laughs) homes not at 200 bucks a month like student loans are not nearly as devastating and debilitating as we have made them to be how much are you paying on i'm not asking you this is rhetorical (laughs) i'm not asking you that (laughs) but what are you paying for your your car what are you paying for your your cell phone bills and your Netflix accounts and all these things, <laughs> yeah. you know, you start piling all those together. You know, I mean, come on what's what's two hundred, three hundred dollars more a month for a student loan, right? This is not nearly as debilitating for most Americans as they claim it is. But boy, it's a it's a hot button topic around election time, <laughs> and sure enough, yeah, this forgiveness is happening in an election year.
0: I just love that it has you thinking. And thinking a little differently. Uh, yesterday, we learned that Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell is stepping down. Boyd up next uh, with his insights on what this means for the Republican Party back in the Senate. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine.
1: And every day we start off with the launch, so the key word is going to be launch.
0: So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and
2: Dujanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources.
0: So we have inside sources because we have Floyd Matheson uh, when news broke about Senate Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell stepping down in November. We knew that Boyd would have a lot of information on this. I stand
5: before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues, to say this will be my last term
7: as Republican leader of the Senate.
1: Now, typically, Boyd, this is the opportunity for everyone to, like, remember the good old days (laughs) and to honor the career of Mitch McConnell, but... I would like to have a little more truth because I, this has been a divisive individual. Yeah, effective in many ways, but uh, I'm sure you've had more than a few run-ins with. I have a few scars.
12: Well, yeah, a few scars.
0: my
15: eyebrows have grown yeah. back.
0: But. And he's been back there since the uh, mid '80s. Yeah, I think I was graduating high school when he took we went back there yeah. from Kentucky, and you worked. Back for in in DC for Senator Mike Lee, yeah. so you would have some interaction with him, right?
15: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and what are your
0: thoughts? <laughs> Give us the it inside scoop. And,
15: and some of it was positive.
0: We don't uh, <laughs> we don't want the political answer here. No,
15: we so, want the tea. So so here's here's the here's the real thing about Mitch McConnell. Whether whether you loved Mitch McConnell or hated Mitch McConnell, he ruled with an iron fist in the Senate. No question about it. Hmm. He ruled that conference, and he in many ways uh, was a tag team partner first with Harry Reid and then with Chuck Schumer to really control what happened on the floor. And so he read the conference. He knew where the votes were. Uh, he understood that part of it incredibly well, uh, maybe better than anyone who's ever really understood the Senate. Uh, I've, I've been called out by Mitch McConnell and his staff. Uh, as, you know, as you're doing the debate, as you're go- coming up for big votes, all of those things happen all the time. That's part of the deal. The one thing I never, ever, ever questioned about Mitch McConnell was his commitment to the institution of the Senate. He loved the Senate uh, and did a lot to preserve it, even things that not a lot of people know about. There's a lot of inside baseball of things getting rid of the filibuster and some of those things that people had called for and looked like were going to happen. And and it was Mitch McConnell who said, no, 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 that's crucial for the minority party, regardless of whether the minority party is the Republicans or the Democrats. Uh, this is really important. And so uh, he does love the institution of the Senate, Uh, and did a lot of things to help preserve that
1: a steady hand no question also has the reputation for uh, letting bills die on his desk
15: (laughs) and that's and sadly that's become the job of the majority leader in the senate Uh, in in fact uh, our own rob bishop when he was in the house uh, he he was the one who really coined that phrase you know where the senate is where great legislation goes to die Uh, And whether it was Mitch McConnell's desk or Harry Reid's desk or now it's Chuck Schumer's desk, there is just a desk there that's just full of really good bills that the Senate will never take up. Uh, but, But also remember that even going back historically, the Senate has always been designed to be the great deliberative body. It's supposed to be the cooling saucer to the hot tea of the, yes. of the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it has been and sometimes it hasn't. Sometimes it's just been a really slow, mucky <laughs> kind of process there uh, in the Senate. But Mitch, Mitch McConnell recognized that. Uh, he did like that deliberative process uh, and, and trying to protect that portion of it. Now, Mitch McConnell, no question, a partisan partisan. A partisan uh, and played that to a T in so many ways. If you look at, I mean, I think probably one of his biggest legacies will be three nominees to the Supreme Court under the Trump administration, and part of the reason that happened was because he was the majority leader and held held the nomination of Merrick Garland. Yep, it did not happen. That was that was partisanship right there. No question about it. Uh, and changes some precedent, some things that uh, I vastly disagreed with. Uh, but having those three nominees during the Trump administration uh, will be something that he will definitely be known for.
0: So if he, when he steps down in November, and then he's still serving until 2027, right, January 2027, um, what does this do in terms of uh, the shift in power for the Republican Party? or what? what what's yeah, the, your take the, on that? The
15: timing on this is so interesting to me uh, because uh, I, I didn't think he would do anything until he was really done. So to do it now is interesting. Uh, he is one of the very few Republican senators in the Senate who has not endorsed Donald Trump. So part of me wonders if he thinks, well, I'm going to stay out of it, and if I have nothing to lose, and if I'm not going to be the leader anymore, then I don't have to deal with Trump. he I don't think he's had a conversation with Donald Trump in three years. Oh, wow. Oh, since the- I don't think he's uttered his name in three years. Is he mad? Uh, they, are, they have no relationship. It's all transactions between those two. Okay, I mean, uh,
0: I couldn't blame him if he were— Yeah. And so extremely bothered by by what transpired on maybe January 6th. But I don't know any any inside information on this. uh,
15: I actually think that was the straw that broke the camel's back for for Mitch McConnell as it relates to Donald Trump. In fact, you can go back to his floor speech after January 6th. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was scathing. It was probably the most fired up and scathing rebuke on the floor of the Senate uh, that I've seen from a Republican in a long time. uh, And particularly during that season going into impeachment and so on. Uh, the, all of those proceedings, but he was uh, that was a that was a really crucial day in uh, Mitch McConnell's legacy. I think uh, that speech after January the sixth.
1: So, which octogenarian is going to replace him?
15: <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: the odds are nine and a half out of ten that the person will have the first name of John. <laughs> okay. It will be it will be John Thune, John Cornyn, or John Barrasso. Those are the three other leaders uh, amongst the Republicans right now. now. You could have someone else emerge from that. And this vote actually won't even take place until December, uh, once they get kind of things done past the election and, and it's determined who the replacements are for you know senators that win and lose and retire. Uh, so it will really be the, the next group of senators that will decide who that will be. Uh, but the jockeying is really between those three Johns. Uh, and uh, I think John Thune probably has the inside track uh, at the moment.
1: Are all three McConnell
15: acolytes? Uh, they've all worked together uh, with uh, with him for a number of years. They all have their own little feel and flavor. John Thune's much more in the communication space, uh, which I think would be a good thing if you're a Republican in the Senate. He's a little more focused that way. Cornyn is much more about policy. Uh, and uh, and Senator Barrasso from Wyoming, westerner, uh, and he's kind of a collaborator guy. So they, they each kind of have their own little lane and their little niche, uh, and I think there'll be some others that will uh, get into the fray as we get closer did to November. Did it surprise
0: you at all, Boyd, that he did this so I want to say early. Really? You know, it's not like, like a two week notice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in November. And I'm yeah. looking at the clock and it's not even, yeah. so it's not even February 29th yet. I think
15: there's two reasons for that. Okay. One, he's obviously had health issues uh, over yes, the last six months. People have been that. Covering, covering that. Uh, and I think he wanted to make sure that he had that moment to make the speech that he gave yesterday, which, by the way, I will say was a really good speech from Mitch McConnell. It was really strong and really important to go back and look at. So I think he wanted to give that. And if his health is, is a little uneven, I think he probably wanted to do that before there, he wouldn't be able to deliver that speech. So I think the speech was one thing that was important to him. The other is, I think, the election. And I think he wants to have a little wiggle room to be able to be critical of the former president should he be the nominee for the Republicans. Wow. I found it
1: fascinating that he did say uh, that he would return to the body. Yeah, You know, something that Kevin McCarthy did for about five seconds when he stepped down as Speaker of the House. (laughs) And he's like, I'm out. I'm not finishing out my term.
15: And remember, most of them have to do that so they can continue to fundraise through the cycle, which they Mm -hmm. can then transfer over into a a pack or a super pack or uh, an institution somewhere down the line.
1: Boyd, thank you. This portion of David Dujanovic is brought to you by Window World. Window World of Utah today for the best value in windows and doors. Give them a call. And that's no baloney.
0: Next, uh, a judge has ruled in the favor of KSL 5 television and the investigative team that has been trying for a year to get a copy of Attorney General Sean Reyes' work calendar. A judge ruled in KSL 5's uh, favor this week. We'll ask the KSL 5 investigative team if the AG has turned over his calendar yet. Next.
2: David Dujanovic, David Dujanovic.
0: There's a really important rule for transparency that happened this week in the state of Utah, and it has to do with the Utah Attorney General's office being told by a judge that they must release a copy of Attorney General Sean Reyes' work calendar to KSL. Um, KSL 5 Television has been in on this transparency fight for about a year now. The investigative team uh, back in studio with us to walk us through what this latest ruling is. Here's a, a KSL attorney, David Raymond, representing KSL in this case. Uh, who said um, this about the results.
4: It's a huge victory for public accountability of elected officials. It was unfortunate that he decided to fight this as long as he did, Um, but the the court saw through the arguments that they were making, and it sided with the public.
0: Sorry, David, mispronounced your last name. I should know better by now. uh, David Ryman uh, was the attorney for KSL who represented us there.
1: So why do we care so much about calendars? You know, I... I'll ask the investigative team here in a second, but l- let me tell you, if you were to look at my calendar, you'd have no idea that I'm on the air every single day from nine to noon. I just don't put it in my calendar. I've got the, the worst updated calendar in America. So it would look like I'm the laziest employee at KSL. So Annie Knox joining me with, uh, Daniela Rivera of the investigative team at KSL. Let me ask you, why do you care? Why are you so obsessed about calendars?
16: Well, you know, the Attorney General of Utah has a few more staffers working for him than I think uh, we do in news over here at KSL. Um, This is the most basic record of what he's up to on a day-to-day basis. You know, he can hold news conferences, he can send releases to us, he can post online about what he's up to, but this is a more complete picture and it doesn't contain just the information he wants to promote, um, but really a more complete uh, idea of how he's spending his time.
0: So, Annie, give us an update uh, to remind our listeners who are just joining us on this battle. It's been going on for a year. How how do we get to this point where it ended up uh, before a judge?
16: It's been a long road.
0: Yes. And it's not over yet. And it starts with a simple request uh, for a government record, which, uh, you know, we do a lot of here at Broadcast House. We request government records
16: all the time. You know, he had... um been drawing a lot of attention for some trips he had been taking. After the 2020 presidential election, he went to Nevada and talked about voting irregularities that he said he saw there. Uh, We know he had been traveling with a nonprofit, Operation Underground Railroad. Um, So we wanted to know more about how he's spending his time in the job. You know, it's a big job. He's the top law enforcer for the state. He oversees how the state defends itself against civil lawsuits. So we requested the calendar just to get a better idea of what he's up to.
1: Danny, what did you hear from the judge that intrigued you?
8: You know, the judge said, this to me is not uh, ambiguous. He ruled that under current Utah law, the day he made his ruling and the day we made this request, that the AG's calendar is a public record subject to grandma, our open records law, and that the public has a right to see it. And he is affirming a prior decision made in May last year by the state records committee, who also read the plain language of the law and decided that this is a public record that the public has a right to see. And has that calendar been turned over yet? It has not. We learned shortly after this hearing that A.G. Reyes office intends to appeal this ruling. They are still fighting to keep this public record, what a judge decided is public record, from the public. So
0: will this go to the Utah Supreme Court potentially? Is that how this works? Do we know yet? Well, here it's going to start appealing. We're waiting to see the
8: appeal okay. and and we trust our attorneys to yeah, uh, show us right. the way forward. Uh, we did speak with uh, David Ryman yesterday and he said he is not concerned at all about uh, going to battle again uh, on an appeal.
1: Lawmakers did take swift ac- action after that ruling. Uh, what Maybe you can explain to our listeners a little bit what they did.
16: A bill popped up just last week um, as we were getting ready to go to court um, that would make all these calendars for public officials and public employees secret. Did Pretty tight and dry. It passed. Within a week of, of showing up, it passed. And last night, the governor signed it. So it is law.
1: And there was some clarification even. It, I think regarding uh, calendars, like this was always the intent, right?
16: They did put a note in there saying just that.
0: That it was always in the intent these calendars be private. Did you fact check that calendars are private? Because I know you, the investigative team, has been doing fact checking on what's going on on Capitol Hill. You've been doing some great work there to fact check what lawmakers are saying on Capitol Hill. Um, what did you find in the truth test? That you yeah,
8: did? thank you. No, our, our truth test series is meant to you know, cut through the politics and look at the facts and and that found that misinformation was shared in support of this bill. For example, the sponsors um, claimed that these records have never been subject to grandma and have never been disclosed under grandma. And that's just simply not true. We have a calendar uh, sitting on Annie's desk right now that we got from the state auditor just last year through a public record request. And journalists have long asked for and received these records under Grandma. Uh, You know, another claim at the last minute about safety concerns, lawmakers uh, saying these must be made secret to protect uh, our safety and our security. The examples that sponsor uh, Kurt Bramble gave uh, were uh, one example of, in 2020, demonstrators showing up outside the state epidemiologist's home. That was used as an example as to why these should be made secret. Well, we called her. It had nothing to do with her calendar. Her calendar wasn't released to her knowledge. People found her address online. And so we found that those examples provided by the sponsor for safety concerns were simply unfounded. It had nothing to do with calendars. And and just another note on that, the state records committee, when it ruled that this should be released, it said, hey... If you have safety concerns, A.G. Reyes, you can redact the location of your meetings. The public does have a right, though, to know who you're meeting with and when.
1: Okay, so as the, the Attorney General, say he's he's meeting with somebody, um, it's it's a victim perhaps, and, and he wants to keep that identity. Are, are you looking for specifics or can they redact some of that information?
8: There are exemptions in grandma for... Um, victim privacy, for information that would compromise an ongoing case for safety and security. All of those exemptions exist. What the attorney general's office sought to do and what lawmakers and the governor made sure of last night is that these records in their entirety are now off limits.
0: There are, I've put in so many grammar requests. I used to be with you guys in the investigative unit and have looked over tons of them and, and government agencies in this state are very familiar with what needs to be redacted. And so often I'd get like a report or a bunch of reports. I have a bunch sitting on my desk right now for something that I'm working on. Um, and there's so many lines drawn through that they're there's just black lines. You can't see the information. So govern, government knows how to deal with grandma and how to redact. So the information that needs to be kept private can be kept private. I just, I'm trying to wrap my brain around. Why we have to keep fighting for a record that clearly now a judge and the state records committee has told the attorney general is public information and that uh, the public has a right to know this information. Uh, And this has turned into a year long battle now. Um, If it would have been released in the beginning, as you said, like what um, what John Dougal, who's a state auditor, did, which is give you his calendar, um, this would have been a story, maybe not even a story, because we don't even know what's in the calendar yet. but here we are battling a year um, with the AG here at, at KSL5 and still we you don't have the calendar yet with no clear line in sight as to whether you're going to get that or not. And
8: Debbie, I would just note that this this battle is being funded by taxpayer time, money, and resources. Um, actively fighting using the public's money to keep a public record, what a judge has called a public record, from the public.
1: Daniela Rivera, Annie Knox from the KSL investigative team. Thank you so much.
8: Great job, so good.
0: Uh, when you were in court, Annie, on on um, on, I want to just do a quick follow up in court on Monday when this took place. Danny, you were there as well. Was there one thing that the judge said to you? that you really took away with um, as you were, were hearing the decision to release this calendar that you want to leave our listeners with?
16: Was there anything in particular? I think it was sort of the basic conclusion that if a public official has a calendar and many, multiple staffers can see it and use it for their jobs, that's public. And, and he, the judge said, from my read of your story,
0: multiple staffers do have access to that calendar, which makes sense. Which makes sense. Having worked for a government agency before where there's um, somebody in charge, multiple staffers would have to have access to the calendar to make changes when they're on the road, whether that's to a travel itinerary or maybe there's a news conference that they have to get to. So that makes that makes total sense. Great work. Look forward to continuing uh, hearing your updates on this report. And I know we'll be able to see more um, on KSL 5 News um, as you continue to track this story. Uh, Straight ahead. Our minds this week have been heavily focused on this proposal to bring a Major League Baseball stadium to the Fair Park area. Dave and I broadcast there live this week for a whole three hours of our show. Um, And that was on Tuesday, right, Dave? (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, We intended that day to have the Utah Transit Authority on the line with us live to talk about expansion for public transit to that area. But we got so jam-packed with information on the taxes and the funding and everything else that we lined up UTA next.
2: Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. It's
0: an important story. It's been controversial. Um, we're talking about the Major League Baseball Stadium. We just felt. Um, KSL News Radio, Fellow, this is such an important story for so many in the community, whether you're a taxpayer or you live in the area. Dave and I took the show on the road. We didn't go far, just down on North Temple um, and right at the the Fair Park there the Ninth West ish between uh, Ninth West and Redwood Road, because that's where the MLB stadium would be. We were there for three hours on Tuesday. And uh, so many angles, the one angle we weren't able to get to is the idea of tracks expansion or or front-runner expansion to that area.
1: Because we're not just talking about a billion-dollar stadium. We're talking about a $3.5 billion investment in the West Side. So there are huge changes coming, and public transit will be absolutely essential because This is not an area in baseball stadiums, busy areas like this in general. It's going to be a parking nightmare. And public transit will play a critical role in getting people there.
0: And parking nightmares spill into neighborhoods. Yes. Uh, And cars end up being parked illegally in front of people's driveways. And
1: towed and booted and everyone's miserable, ruining the very great experience that they're (laughs) pushing for.
0: And now we know this week that lawmakers are scrambling to get the funding mechanism in place, and they did. They gutted the legislation that they had originally proposed uh, that would be this MLB stadium on the taxpayer side would be funded to the tune of a billion dollars, largely through an added transient room tax or hotel room tax that would be tacked on about a buck fifty for every hundred dollars you drop on a night's hotel stay. You know, at a hotel anywhere in the state. Well, there was some pushback from the rural communities for a lot of different reasons, but eventually what ended up happening with this is they pulled that portion out of the legislation and instead said, okay, we will use car rental um, tax increase on car rentals. Uh, You know, of course, mainly that'll probably happen at the Salt Lake International Airport, um, and, but also the sales tax that's generated from the new retail and the restaurants and the ballpark and merchandise will then go to this fund to help fund the, the baseball stadium. But what we really haven't talked about yet is what if we have to expand tracks lines? What if we need more bus routes to the area? What, where does front Runner stop? Dave, do you, write you ride it from time to time?
1: Right on North temple. It is super easy it's walking distance quite honestly from the ballpark but again you have a light rail connection right there at north temple so carlton christensen joins us right now the chairman of the uta board of trustees thanks for joining us uh i would guess your mind's kind of racing right now with this possibility
3: Uh, i'm excited for lots of reasons uh you know i live in the area actually uh as a resident and uh, and served and represented it for 16 years on the city council but i'm really excited about the uh, transportation opportunities and certainly the work we've already prepared uh, not only for this opportunity but uh, transit in general that will serve that area
0: what's the vision Uh, will you need more tracks trains will you need more lines in that area Do you know yet?
3: (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, we're currently doing a study that will uh, help us, uh, uh, and we've done a recent study about the future of light rail. Uh, The One great advantage we have to this site is that we already have rail in place, and so we can run additional uh, car uh, sets on the same rail uh, so we don't have to pay for new infrastructure. Uh, we're exploring right now a, a potential second line to the airport, probably coming out of the University of Utah, and both of those will pass uh, Dave Station there at, at North Temple, and be able to connect people. And the work we're doing uh, in conjunction with UDOT will get front runner service down to 15-minute segments and uh, or 30 off-peak, and and it has the ability to bring a lot of people in, transfer to the light rail. And uh, and there's two stops uh, that would be on both ends of the stadium. So I'm very optimistic. uh, But we're going to do a transportation study in the next few years uh, in conjunction with our partners, and we should have a better idea what the needs uh, truly will be.
1: Maybe this is applicable, uh, this question is, because we have the jazz. But have you noticed when there's a big jazz game uh, or a game at the University of Utah where light rail is being used uh, and it really is a people are packed. Do you create like a surge or do you throw in extra routes during that time? And would you probably have to do something similar to a baseball stadium?
3: Uh, We absolutely do. We, we always plan for additional surge service. Uh, We run, uh, we have the fortune because of our large blocks to have four sets of cars on one particular track line, uh, a track line Uh, with the university of Utah. In particular, we do a, a a program with them where they help supplement the cost and we do a ticket as fair. And, uh, and then, and that allows us to also run some additional express buses to get people to stations and those kinds of things. And, you know, just a few years ago, we did back to back concerts for, um, Garth Brooks, which was probably the largest kind of gathering you'd get in that scenario. And we moved a little over 60,000 people in two nights. And so, uh, it takes a lot out of us, um, but we, we know how to do it. And uh, I, I'm confident we'd be able to work with the uh, MLB owners and, and the surrounding area.
0: Carlton Christian is the chair of the UTA Board of Trustees. Uh, he also lives in the area where this ballpark will eventually be built. Um, if we can get a ball team. <laughs> um, I have a pitch. Uh, what do you think of this, Carlton? Uh, if you ride light rail you ride a bus or you take front runner to get to the ball game um you get a free ride uh with your mlb ticket
3: well i i'm all for it uh, i'm not sure the owner new owners would be uh, quite <laughs> <laughs> in sync with us but uh we we will work out something that's advantageous to those that take the system and uh and we want to serve the community for sure
1: well, we appreciate you joining us, Carlton Christensen, the chairman of the UTA Board of Trustees. And Debbie, part of what intrigues me so much about the location of this Major League Baseball stadium is because they, they couldn't have picked a better place for public transit. Again, it's one thing to have a light rail running right past it. And, and Carlton said there would be one on each side uh, of the stadium. That's great. The fact that you have a drop-off from front runner, the train that stretches from Ogden down to Provo, and it basically drops you off right next to the stadium, that is a game-changer. That opens up doors to Utah County jumping on a train, coming to a Major League Baseball game without having to fight traffic in rush hour.
0: Yeah, but let me— I've got You a have yeah, a yeah, but? I've got a yeah, but— well, first of all, um, the, you know, we just talked a couple of weeks ago to UTA about all of the delays they've been sustaining. So hopefully they they can work those bugs out between now and then. Because if you're, you know, 30 or 40 minutes late to a ball game, even lo- longer, oh, that's a bummer. But
1: Yeah, it might right be the off, bottom of the first. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <The laughs> Baseball's so first. slow. It is so slow. I love it.
0: Um, yeah, but I-80 right there. Pouring on to um, Redwood Road, or yeah. where you get off, that area that yeah, starts backing up real fast. Yep. Where that doesn't have a whole lot of problems right now, you, I can I can take that out toward my house and like cut over to two fifteen, and it is just smooth sailing. Not on game day, ninety nine point nine percent of the time. That definitely, yeah, it'll be it'll be an issue, uh, but. Who knows? We've got we've got a lot of ways to go. We've got the funding mechanism in place. We don't have the funding collected yet, and we still need a major league ball team. So, lots more to talk about with this. Uh, Straight ahead. Oh, happy birthday to all the leapers! You're the literally the fountain. Do you know anyone
1: born on leap day?
0: I don't, but think people, I posted happy birthday to all the leapers on my Facebook page because I was reminded when I listened to Tim and Amanda this morning that it was leap year. So I posted, some people have chimed in and said, Oh, it's my dad's birthday. So happy birthday to all the leapers.
1: You um, only celebrate your birthday once every four years. What I, I like wonder, it's, I it's cheating any other way.
0: I wonder how that works.
1: You uh, have to skip it.
0: When you're a child, though, you're only celebrating once every four years or crying. When you're an adult, you're like, Woohoo! <laughs> So we're going to talk about why we need leap years in the first place, and also Castle Meteorologist Kevin Eubank checking in. We we're going to. You said Dave, you're looking at the forecast for the weekend. Windy, way windy. Next,
2: Dave, Dave,
0: and Janovic. February truly did get robbed of days. It's like you blink and the month is gone. So happy leap year! Here we are, February 29th.
1: And if it's your birthday, congratulations. <laughs> You get to celebrate every four years.
0: But the fact that it's a leap year, um, David, I wondered,
14: why – Why do we need it again? You can actually thank Julius Caesar and his astronomer, Sosogenes, for creating the leap years. You see, back in the day, they wanted to simplify the calendar for the sake of annual celebrations. Well, turns out, the Romans may have been onto something. You see, a year is 365 days plus about six hours long. Leap year day mitigates that overflow, and without it, our seasons would gradually start shifting off course, and summer would begin in December by the 28th century. Yeah, I know, a pressing threat. But if you were born on this day in 1924, just want to say happy 25th birthday.
1: <laughs> it's not how it works. No, I, we could have fixed it. We either add a day every four years or we could have made every day 24 hours and one minute. That would have been the other solution. It was more like 59 seconds. You could have made March 32 days. That's true.
0: So they obviously they went and Rob
1: Moore from February. (laughs) The reason February is only twenty eight days is because it's by far the worst month. (laughs) Like nobody likes February, so that's why they get twenty eight days. I thought that was January. January is way better. New Year, you got some holidays.
0: By the way, that was KSL News Radio's Michael Commit. Uh, he aired that report on Utah's Morning News. I thought it was fabulous how he described that he had to go. Whoa. Julius
1: Caesar <laughs> once tried with misogynies to simplify the calendar. I
0: Hi, Kevin Eubank, KSL meteorologist. Happy Leap Year Day!
12: Happy Leap Year! How are you guys?
0: We're good. Uh, wow, Dave was looking over because Dave does this kind of stuff like you do. He was looking over the reservoir totals and he thought we got to have Kevin back on but also we know that there's some big winds coming this weekend too so it's a good time to catch up on how we're doing with water and winds
1: let me qualify because I thought this winter has been super lame mostly because there's no snow down here in the valleys and I haven't spent a lot of time in in the in the mountains so when I saw Matt Johnson tweet out oh yeah reservoirs are like 86 percent full right now I'm like, holy smokes, well, maybe things aren't as miserable as I thought they were. No,
12: they're actually really, really good. So remember, last year we had this record year. We filled up our reservoirs, the small ones, and during the summer, we actually kept our conservations up from the previous drought years. So we ended up conserving a whole lot of the water we we got from last year's big winter. So the reservoirs are in fantastic shape and what that's going to allow us to do is to get the runoff from this year and manage that in a better way to maybe get a little bit more out to to the Great Salt Lake, to get things to replenish areas that are kind of the end of the line because we were so concerned about having enough last year. But snowpacks above one hundred percent, reservoirs are at eighty percent, soil moisture is super good which means the runoff we're going to get this year is going to be fantastic.
0: Remember just not too long ago, a couple of summers ago, we were getting warnings from, you know, reservoir and the marina operators to come get your boats out because, you know, the water was, the water levels were shrinking. The lakes or the reservoirs were shrinking and you had to get your boat. out. I remember going up to, um, Oh my goodness. Why am I forgetting about it? It's up it's past Parley's Canyon. Hello. Jordan is, No, no. Jordan, no. Keep going. Rockport. I got it. Rockport. I got it. Rockport. Got it. And I got there and I I was like, "Where's the water?" Boats were getting into trouble because they were, you know, docked there and the water was just going away. So I'm so glad to hear this this will be great for summer recreation too. Um and then Dave, Dave Davey Downer Pointed out this weekend that we're going to get some big winds, uh, and he said they're going to be big winds. What do you know about that, Kev?
12: So, the winds we're getting right now are south winds, and it's very breezy out there today. They're going to get a little stronger each day. So, breezy today, windy tomorrow. The winds really continue into Saturday as we await a cold front. And these are the kind of winds that put 70, 80, 90-mile-an-hour gusts up on top of our mountains. It puts gusts of 30 to 40 miles an hour in the valley. So it blows stuff around. I mean, Dave calls this leaf removal for his yard because it blows <laughs> it all over to his neighbor's yard. But the truth is, is it's going to be a windy couple at end of the week and the weekend as we await our next storm. Rain starts on Saturday, quickly flips over to snow, and then snow continues into Sunday morning.
1: I think you just outed me on my leaf elimination program. <laughs>
12: <laughs> well, I know you. I've, I've talked to people who live by you, yeah. and they know you pray for wind because that's the only time you actually move leaves. Yep. You also pray for rain. It's the only time you wash your car. Is this? Is this?
0: Is this speaking of which, I got to wash my car. Um, <laughs> Wait for the rain. Deb. I know. I totally do. Um, I need to wash my car. Um, is it it, how's the week how's next week's commute look then i have to worry about anything on monday because they i had a i had a day on tuesday thanks kev getting in no listen
12: well listen it actually the storm clears out pretty nicely on sunday so we're looking at good shape for the monday morning commute and hey by then it's march and everyone can be happy again right dave's right 28 days in february is just to get it over with
1: absolutely (laughs) hey the first thing we've agreed on today that's great oh stop
0: See Kevin you, Eubank,
1: you're the best. KSL Meteorologist.
0: Yeah. Um, so don't forget as well. Not only can you get into the final moments of our podcast contest, uh, which you have a chance to win a pair of AirPod Pros uh, by going to our podcast, loving us, subscribing to us, and listening to our podcast where Dave gets um, gives away a keyword. But you can also count on us to be right back here tomorrow morning. Yes, uh, we... Been now eight weeks, eight weeks that we've been on Fridays. The bosses said, we, we're we going to move the movie show from 11 to 1, which is awesome. Steve and Andy uh, take you through your lunch hour. And then my, we're on every Friday from 9 to 11. And I have been working on this story all week. Actually, it's not been all week, but we haven't been able to get it on the air yet. Which one? The one that we're going to talk about tomorrow. Um, because... I, after they finally, the lawmaker, lawmakers finally approved the funding uh, this week for the MLB stadium, I wanted to know okay, what happened in other states with their, their big stadiums? And no kidding, Dave. Uh, my search uh, and my research took me right back where I grew up to the Valley of the Sun, to Phoenix. When the Arizona Cardinals uh, moved from St. Louis and brought the team out west to Phoenix in 1987. Okay, I was there for that announcement Uh, when that happened. I, I, uh, you know, and it was super, super exciting when it happened. But do you know, it was 20 years of financial issues, of stadium issues. Four different cities passed the project back and forth, fighting each other to get it. Then the FAA got involved because at one point one of the sites was so um, so close to the flight path that, believe it or not, uh, of Sky Harbor International Airport there in Phoenix, that believe it or not, the highest point of the stadium that was proposed was going to be like 170 feet away. From planes as they were flying in it 170 feet? feet away, and so they came up with this other proposal to put the stadium into the ground, like dig it almost underground. It's wild what happened there, put it in a bowl. They're gonna put it in a bowl. Wow. I mean, it's just wild. There's so many layers to this story, it gets even crazier what happened to Cardinal Stadium and how long it took to eventually get an NFL stadium built where they played the
1: Super Bowl at. I think it was last year. It, it can be a nightmare trying it was to build a nightmare. stadiums. In general, not just, and this isn't a unique story. It seems like every stadium has drama behind it.
0: Uh, that's a tease for tomorrow's David Dujanovic show. So make sure you join us at 9 a.m. sharp. Um, happy to be with you on our Fridays. Maria, up next. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine.
1: And every day we start off with the launch. So the keyword is going to be launch.
0: So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros.